This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're here this week to talk about uh, presidential politics, the state in particular of the Biden presidency. We have three Democratic guests. Rick DeGraw is a longtime Democratic political strategist and campaign manager. Bob Lord is a Democratic attorney, one-time candidate for Congress. Tony Caney helped run the—he was deputy director of the Biden 2020 campaign in Arizona. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank Thanks you. for having Thanks. me. Thanks. Good to be here. Okay. Biden's dilemma. Unemployment has gone well down. Lower paid workers are actually getting big raises. The stock market is at an all-time high. COVID is down. Vaccines and masks in combination in general seem to be working. And Joe Biden's numbers are in the tank. Tony Caney, why? I think there's two I think there's two reasons. I think the first is that there's a there's Biden was elected to get things done and to give people more confidence in government, at least here in Arizona. That was a big part of it. And right now, things are a mess in Congress, whether it's the Democrats fighting over how to get, uh, you know, the Build Back Better agenda through or whether it's the type of divisiveness and terrible rhetoric that's coming from Gosar, I think that people are seeing that things haven't really settled down, and I think that's frustrating for voters. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, there are, you know, people are concerned about inflation. And one of the things I think that Democrats have fallen into a trap of is trying to convince people that these things aren't real or they're not happening, as opposed to just talking about how to you know, alleviate the problem and make things uh, get a little bit better. But I think that he is in a tough spot right now, but it's pretty early in the administration, and I do think he has an opportunity to turn things around. Rick, your take? Well, it took five years at least after the 1918-1919 pandemic for the United States to return to normal. We get tired of things very quickly in the United States. Uh, We tire of wars. We tire of actions. And the fact that the pandemic isn't gone mm-hmm. is something that bothers people. They want it gone. I want to. I want to go out and a party, and I don't want to wear a mask. And it's exact. I, I shouldn't be required to wear a mask to go in places, which I think is a stupid argument. But that's beside the point. But there is there is an element who feel that that is well at the extreme. It's a political intrusion, but certainly for all of us. It's a nuisance. They are moderately uncomfortable. You know, it, it would rather, all other things being equal, would rather not have this inconvenience. Well, and people also don't understand uh, how Congress works or doesn't work. And when you're at a 50-50 split, it is very, very difficult to get things done when 50% of the Senate absolutely says we'll do nothing at all to help the president. What, which, of course, moves it. That means if among your 50, you have one or two recalcitrants, which we certainly do, then all of a sudden um, the focus is not on the 50 Republicans who are guaranteed no's for everything. Right. But on that on that one or two, uh, <laughs> um, one of them was very close to home. Yep. But uh, 
and so the focus, I, I look at that and say, what people are seeing is why can't the Democrats get things done? The, the, the 50 Republicans who are guaranteed no's are sort of built into the cake. They're not talked about because it's kind of a done deal. Right. And, and it's just it's a very frustrating situation because if you look at the House, the House has been able to um, say they can do more or and do more than the Senate has. But it takes both of them to make something. Well, happen. in the House, the numbers are different. They're yes. not they're not 50 50. They are. It's a it's a close margin. You can't lose very many. Uh, but there is no one person who can can hold things up, as is the case. There are 50 senators, Democrats, any one of whom, as long as the Republicans hold firm mm-hmm. in the Senate, which they pretty much have, yep. then any Democrat can uh, uh, can hold up anything, and a couple of them have expressed willingness to do so. But if and, you- and the worst problem is right here, right? Uh, I mean, we have a senator here, Kirsten Sinema, who won't even, in many cases, let her position be known. But just is holding things up, um, and 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 it looks really bad. We're seeing reporting that, for example, uh, she did an a paid internship at a winery, and then the owner of the winery, who happens to be a private equity guy managing over a hundred billion dollars, uh, through a huge fundraiser for her, and a bunch of private equity folks make big big contributions. And then all of a sudden, the rumors are that she's getting in the way of closing the carried interest loophole. It's it's an indefensible loophole in the in the tax code. It's, it's Could a, have raised a, over fifty billion dollars uh, mm-hmm. towards you know for, for good things, things we need. And we've got reportedly one senator standing in the way, Kirsten Cinema. It's it's embarrassing for Arizonans. I, I want to ask you all now. Maybe I'll start with you, Rick, on this because I know we've talked about these kinds of things before. Why? Were they? How were they able to pull off on the infrastructure bill? For everything in it, we talk about ten-year cost. We don't talk about ten-year cost on any other government expenditure. You know, during this time that the infrastructure uh, bill is is uh, going to be spent, the one point seven five trillion, um, the defense budget is seven trillion. Mm-hmm. No, seven hundred billion a year. But but we. Everything else in government, we've always talked about what's the annual cost. Why did they get sucked in and permit for this one thing alone uh, to talk about the 10-year cost when when everything else is talked about as one-year cost? Several reasons. One is that the Republicans and the arch conservatives have done better messaging, in my mind, than the Biden administration mm-hmm. has. Uh, Two is the Biden administration is attempting to be open and honest about what things are going to cost and what things are going to do. And three, there were some things in the original bill that probably shouldn't have been there, uh, but they were like to haves instead of must haves. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it, I think 13 Republican senators crossed the line and voted with the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Now, that's unheard of. Over the last 20 years. So the fact of the matter is that Biden was able to pull off a huge win with a bipartisan support. In, in part, they did that by splitting the bill in half to begin with. Mm-hmm. We said, OK, all the stuff that might be the subject of some contention, we'll have that. That'll be the build back better 
whatever component. Right. And and that this first piece that was just recently passed is supposed to be only those things about which there is almost unanimous consensus. I mean, you see right now, the, it's amusing. Republicans who voted against that are out touting what they did. Of course, as, of course, <laughs> including people like our governor. Um, but But the fact is that you wound up having a a bill that is essential for the future of the United States. And when people like Mitch McConnell support it and voted yes for it, and then he's attacked uh, immediately by Trump uh, for selling out, for being weak, et cetera, after he's been kissing – well, I can't say that – after he's been uh, cozying up to Trump – uh, over all these years, it's just it's just fascinating to watch. And interestingly, with Donald Trump uh, being ninety eight percent for him, ain't good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're mortally it's all in or nothing. Well, it's a cult, but yeah. that's beside the point. And look at our conversation too. We're talking about the politics of it. I know that's the nature of this show. Mm-hmm. But there are people who are driving their car right now. I don't want to make you nervous. Who might be going over one of the hundred and thirty two structurally deficient bridges that we have in our state. And this is the first action that's been taken by government to try and address those types of things. And like Rick said, you know, we do have a messaging problem. Do you know who I think we should probably take messaging advice from is Doug Ducey, who is go to his webpage, look at all of his recent press releases. A huge number of them are bragging about money that he is distributing two Arizonans that he got from the Biden administration that no Republicans voted for. He's called it historic. He's called it a game changer. He said all these things. He's tried to make it so people don't know that it's federal money. But we need to be touting these successes as much as we can. One other thing I would throw out in terms of the messaging, when this thing was talked about, it was never or almost never discussion of the things it was going to do. The only thing we talked about was the cost. And I think one of the reasons for that is because uh, Senator Sinema and Manchin put a top limit. Mm -hmm. Like they're the ones who sort of introduced the dollar amount into the Mm -hmm. conversation. And then that became the point that that public negotiation was around. And so that became an easy shorthand for people to call it the 1.5 or whatever. And and those are big numbers. And when you multiply by 10 to get to the 1.75 or the 1.5, it is a big number. We're not used to stuffing. We got used to multi-hundreds of billions, but we didn't get used to trillions as a new number. And you had to multiply the annual thing by 10 to get there, but we got there. And even at, regardless of what the number is, or when you went from 3 to 1, said, you it seems to me you should have had a shopping list and said, well, you know, what about, you know, child care? Should that be part of that or not? What if, and go through and talk about all the specifics. And almost every item, and particularly in the hard infrastructure, the first part, almost every one of those items was pulling up around 80 percent. This is stuff people want. Of course, we don't want to pay for it, but that's, that's, a, that's a dilemma. We'll be back in a moment. And I want to talk about um, – the the if all of the the Biden poll numbers that I started with in the tank are pre the passage of this infrastructure bill, and and there's another one out there what you might call a social infrastructure. But uh, the question that I will ask you in return is: Does this bespeak a likely turnabout? And if not, what does it take? 
to uh, precipitate a tournament. In other words, is this potentially a turning point, and what does it take to do that? When we return with our guest in the Think Bank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with our guests, Rick DeGraw, Bob Lord, and Tony Canny. Uh, we started out by talking about, uh, despite the fact that a lot of economic and other indicators are positive, the president's numbers are in the tank. And I, I think the consensus was, why is that? Well, essentially the sense that nothing's happened. Congress is still ossified, and the Democrats have a, a majority, though a hair's breadth majority in the Senate, and a minimal majority in the House, and uh, struggling to get anything through. Well, something got through this past week, and it was a major infrastructure bill. It was pared down a whole bunch from uh, the original concept, but something very substantial got passed. Rick, go to you. What, does this turn his numbers around, or what does it take for that to happen? Well, first of all, when you're going to spend that much money repairing things that haven't been repaired for 20 or 50 years, including the hundreds of bridges in, in Arizona, it takes time. And it takes time for those contracts to be let and for the construction to start. And I would not be surprised if, oh, five or six months from now, uh, people are blaming the president because their roads are torn up or because their bridges are partially closed. Well, to fix stuff, you have to tear it up. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and again, who can control the messaging? If the messaging gets off the fact that we have a senator in Arizona who's one of two that is holding up major legislation for the future of the United States, um, it will focus on that again. But I don't know what will happen. But, it, but it's not going to happen overnight. Does it happen in time for the 2022 elections? I don't know. Bob, I read a piece that said there's a, a thousand events schedule. I, I, I looked at that and said, I think that might be about right. You know, proportion that we're about an average size state in general, that would be about 20 events here. That's a lot of ribbon cutting. I, we may not have a bridge uh, rebuilt, but there sure as heck can be a sign out in front, future repairs, build back, you know, America, whatever. Uh, probably can't use a campaign slogan, but you can do something reminiscent but I, of But I think you know. Tony said it uh, earlier. Uh, the governor is going to jump in as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and take credit for it. If it happens in Arizona, he's done it. Mm-hmm. And he will continue to do that until the Biden administration gets ahead of him doing that. Bob? Well, look, Mark Kelly's going to be running a Senate campaign, which mm-hmm. will help a lot. Mm-hmm. And really, if you think about it, the worst place you want to be in right now is to have sky-high approval ratings a year out from the election because you got the, nowhere, you, to, go you got nowhere to go but down. Look where, look where George H.W. Bush was a year before the 1992 election. 93 92, 93 percent. It doesn't concern me uh, that Biden's approval ratings are low right now. E- everyone takes a dip now and then. Clinton had low approval ratings at one time. Obama did. Uh, but, but Biden, to me, once he gets past the problems with Cinema and Manchin, and it looks like that's going to happen, 
he'll uh, he'll have a lot to he'll have a lot to talk about over the course of the next year. Uh, people will still be getting those child care tax credits on a monthly basis. That's huge. Yeah, and I think the fact that they're monthly and they're physical checks and they're not just figured into your tax makes it very, very clear. What's Tony? What messaging would you do advising the president right now to get benefit out of this? Well, I think we get we need to talk about outcomes. We need to talk about the impact that this has on people. So the child tax mm-hmm. credit—that's great. That's a phrase, but really, what it did is no president has cut child poverty more. Half, and, I understand. Right, Half. and so. We need to be focusing on those types of, you know, of those types of conversations. And this infrastructure bill has a pretty simple message, and it's, you know, it's going to create jobs. It's going to, you know, expand economic opportunities. It's going to secure our water future, and it's going to protect our communities from wildfires. And I know that because that's what Senator Sinema said about it. And so these, everyone's going to be out there talking and trying to take credit for this legislation. And, and-, and I think it's going to start to have an impact and people will start understanding. And uh, and that's already happened. The interesting point, even those who voted against it are now lining up to take credit because we're we're no longer talking about the cost, we're talking about the benefits and everybody wants to be on the on the benefit train. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about okay, this was phase 1, this is the the hard infrastructure. There's still going to be battle about what you call soft in- infrastructure or social infrastructure. That is still uh, before the Congress and will uh, take over the agenda, I think, over the next several weeks when we return in just a few minutes. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with Rick DeGraw, Bob Lord and Tony Kenny. Uh Bob, let me go to you and ask you, OK, We've gotten through what we call the hard infrastructure, the, the bipartisan uh, vote, less bipartisan in the House than it was in the Senate. As Rick uh, noted, 17 Republicans switched over uh, to vote for this. And now even the ones who voted against it are all of a sudden in favor. Well, they're, they're in favor of the good things it does. They just didn't want to pay for it, I guess. But, but there is going to be a more difficult and probably more partisan uh, uh, bill that has been was broken off it was originally part of the infrastructure bill in order to get bipartisan on what's already been passed it had to be separated out and it has been whittled down on multiple occasions and uh, i i think we'd all agree that essentially we're 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 waiting to see uh what uh what do you need to to bring on board Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin and interestingly, the comments that Joe Manchin was I had an opportunity to speak to it the other day, and I read his statement, and it was pretty noncommittal. He basically more or less said, I didn't ever say I was going to be for all of this stuff. I'm still talking, but uh, uh, there was, it, was a, it was a press conference at which you kind of expected the way it was set up. This is, he had announced what he needed to happen or that he'd already got an agreement to it, and it, it didn't even do that. Uh, do we, Bob, the question, do we just get into another morass of a fight? One of the downsides of this that I could see happening is that this fight over what you might call infrastructure, too— preempts potentially 
a lot of the ribbon cutting aspects and the political benefits of of, of the passage of the hard infrastructure bill. Well, I, I think it, it's going to depend a little bit on these CBO numbers that are going to come out, I think, which, later which, today. Which are the, the scoring for the cost of this. Correct. Yeah. And, and whether those CBO numbers uh, are, are consistent with the White House and Treasury numbers, and if they're not, whether folks are willing to look past them and just rely on the White House numbers. Uh, I'm optimistic that things are going to be okay, that that for the most part, the package that's on the table now, with some changes in the Senate once the House passes it, will happen. Uh, I mean, we, we've got the, – the spending has been pared back so much that the revenue side should be relatively easy, uh, e- even, even if more revenue needs to be raised. Except, a, except that Kirsten Sinema took off the table some of the major potential – she said we're not going to allow increases in the rates right. paid by higher income folks uh, that, that – uh, you mentioned carried interest. You know, she took a number of things off the table. So. Yeah, we we don't know for sure about carried interest, but mm-hmm. the rumors are are swirling yeah. that she's the one. And then the other one they're they're talking about is closing these estate tax loopholes. Another twenty eight or thirty billion dollars. Uh, yeah, the rumors that I'm thing, hearing. Just, just to explain that, so you have somebody's worth billions, and uh, it, it it has a net. The, their basis is zero. So uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, he started out with nothing. He's got, you know, $100 billion and uh, hasn't paid any taxes on that. And you pay taxes on the profit, ultimately, if that when that pass, passes to heirs, if it passes at what we call stepped up basis. In other words, all of a sudden your heirs get it, but it's valued at $100 billion. There's $100 billion of profits that have escaped taxation through the uh, through the uh, uh, tax code. They just define that, well, your kids get it and it's at this higher rate. So he doesn't pay taxes on it. His kid doesn't pay tax. It's just lost forever. That's, the I think, the the thing you're you're talking about no actually i mean that's a, that's a problem but that's not you can't lay that all on kirsten cinema on that one the other side got the farm bureaus out and scared mm-hmm. you know half the half the democratic senators about mm-hmm. what it's going to do to farmers it was nonsense the yeah. farmers were going to be protected no what i'm talking about are loopholes in the actual estate tax which are just enormous and and it was really ironic the way it's played out first you have the house ways and means committee back in september proposing legislation that would go a long way to closing these loopholes then after that reports come out in both propublica and bloomberg about how these billionaires are seizing on these are just exploiting these loopholes to deny us hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue and then after that the, the the Ways and Means Committee proposal gets pulled from the final package at the insistence of someone. We don't know who, but again, the rumors are Kirsten Cinema. That's $30 billion of revenue gone. Is that annual? Uh, no, it's total for the 10 total years. Total for the 10 years, yeah. Tony? Uh, I mean, here we're, if we're looking at why we won Arizona on the Biden campaign, we had the support of women, we had the support of seniors, we had the support of... Um, you know, of younger voters. And this bill... So the increment wasn't... It was, to be very specific, suburban Republican-leaning women. 
Well, yeah. Who were when you appalled win by, by ten, Trump. When you win by 10,000 votes, everybody gets credit. You sure, know, Every sure. vote's the reason uh, that they uh, won. Yes. But <laughs> this legislation is extraordinarily popular with those segments of the population. I think it's an important thing to remember. We're talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, paid uh, – you know, paid leave is one of the things that's been in and out. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, child care subsidies, things like this. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be some short-term pain getting this through. And then I think it's going to be one of these pieces of legislation. I remember when I was trying to get Obamacare passed, how hard that was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be one of these pieces of legislation that people campaign on. And uh, if you – right now, if I wanted to beat somebody – I would talk about how they're trying to take away Obamacare. They did that to McSally twice. There's no way when I was sitting in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, trying to convince blue dog Democrats to vote for that bill that I ever thought that that is the kind of conversation that we'd be having this far away. And that's why we got to get this thing through, you know, numbers, all that kind of stuff. Cool. People love that we're going to tax the rich. Let's do it. And let's do it in a way that benefits families. That's it. And the interesting thing about that, I think the folks who opposed Obamacare – knew how popular it would be. And before it exists, you can scare people about how it's going to change everything. And what has happened, obviously, in the interim is people have experienced it. It's been essentially a positive experience. Now, if you talk about messing with Obamacare, you're messing with the status quo. And so the the political situation is completely reversed. Mm-hmm. If you want to kill Obamacare, you are changing the status quo, and th- and people are more easily scared than enticed. If- I don't think it'll be that way with Build Back Better, where you where they had this period of time where people failed to appreciate how good a thing Obamacare was. I think folks are going to know immediately how good uh, Build Back Better is, and, mm-hmm. and, and the infrastructure bill as well. What, what amazes me is that the United States touts itself as a country built on the family, that the family is the the infrastructure of our country. Yet we don't think anything of spending trillions on a new fighter jet uh, for the military. But then we argue about giving a family more money, allowing a family to have child care, allowing both, uh, both parents to work as most have to. Uh, it, it's just an amazing juxtaposition that I've never understood. And and we talk about those military expenditures only in terms of one-year cost, never the total cost. <laughs> and, and on the family side, too, like right now, especially in Arizona, which is an aging state, um, you know, there's a lot of families that are trying to decide whether – how they're going to help pay for their parents' medications or their long-term care and that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And AARP did a poll in Arizona that showed that over 90 percent of Arizonans, which is wild. There's no – Nothing's 90 percent. I don't think I can get 90 percent of Arizonans to agree how to spell the state name. Mm -hmm. It's so – that's a high number that they wanted um, to give the government the power to negotiate these Medicare Mm -hmm. prices down. And it was something that Cinema reportedly was against. But you've seen now that there's been conversations and negotiations. Mark Kelly really stood up, and now there's this whole thing. These are the types of pieces of, of legislation that people are immediately going to appreciate, even if the fight to get it through is going to create political pressures on the people in office. A question for you, Rick, because you've been along around around longer than most of us here. Do you think that 
Essentially, privately, a deal has been cut with Cinema and Mansion where they have privately told the president what they want and that what we're seeing now is essentially political theater whereby they're being publicly wooed and they get to be in the spotlight and put in certain demands, but maybe for stuff that everybody's already signed off on. You think there's a private deal? Yes, I, I really believe that uh, Cinema knows what she wants and what she's willing to vote for, but she's not willing to say that publicly because of all the battles that will go on mm-hmm. around it. Um, I believe she's willing to say it privately, although I haven't talked to a single person that knows what it is that she's she's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, and I think Manchin is smart enough to understand that his state relies on federal support. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those states that takes a heck of a lot more from the federal government. As does government. Arizona, but not nearly as much. Right. I mean, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, the, odd, oddly, those two of the most rep- – Mississippi, Alabama, West Virginia, Kentucky are n- the the top of the list as m- net recipients of federal money. Right. Arizona's this, seventh. Are we seventh? We're seventh. I, th- I, thought it was, I thought it was further down than that, but uh, but, wow. but it, But I it's it, it's – I believe that they've uh, they understand that and that they need this, that this is the kind of thing that they can run on for the future, uh, but that they're unwilling to say it publicly because they'll get too much heat from their own party. But it sounds like uh, we get a 50-50 vote. The vice president breaks the tie. I think not, so. Not a, I think that's what it will come well, That's the best to. case scenario. You're not going to get 51. Mm-hmm. No. No. That, there won't be a, a, sing, a single Republican budge on this, probably because they don't have to, right? No, because this is what the, the party is telling them that mm-hmm. they're going to do as an attack. This, mm-hmm. is, this is their attack base. And look what happened to the Republicans who supported the infrastructure bill. They are being, you know, there's the Ostracized, about, yeah. Right, whether or not they should be kicked out of the caucus, lose their committee assignments, and you've got, you know— uh, members of the Republican Party doing, you know, essentially hate speech that are not being kicked out. The Republicans are not going to be in favor of this, and it's up to us to make them pay the price when they uh, aren't. We'll be back in a concluding segment with our panel here in the Think Tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Okay, we are back. Rick DeGraw, Bob Lord, Tony Canny. Uh, Tony, I go to you. Uh, you know, our senator, Kirsten Cinema, has been front and center of national attention, along with Joe, Joe Manchin, uh, probably equally. But uh, it's been interesting to watch the reaction uh, to her in the, in the polling figures. Uh, her numbers have persisted overall. They plummeted amongst hardcore Democrats. She has gained... What she lost among Democrats, she's gained in republic uh, in independence. She even gets uh, sort of like she gets what McCain got with Democrats, you know, uh, among Republicans. Now I think we we both agree that those folks aren't going to vote for. Her. Yeah, I think uh, that her numbers have been bolstered a little bit in this interim period mm-hmm. by Republicans who are happy that she is standing up to Biden. Yeah, and those people aren't going to vote right. for her. And I I think that. The number one phone call I get as a consultant now mm-hmm. are people saying like, hey, how do we get cinema to mm-hmm. do stuff? And the answer I've always given is, you know, she doesn't respond to pressure. She doesn't. 
I think, though, that over the past month, this has been the first time where the type of public scrutiny that she's had to face, where you know she's on SNL, it crossed over from political Twitter to pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that she's starting to feel it, and she responded to it. Um, you know, she's doing more public events now. She's touting the bill that she negotiated, and I'm optimistic that that means she is going to be making moves on for the you know for the Build Back Better bill. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's a sign though that she knows that the public in Arizona that she needs really want to get something done. Now, um, do you think that she's had any kind of a risk of a serious primary challenge? I think that the narrative that the only people who are frustrated with her were liberals is false. Right. Hmm. I think that there are people. Arizona voters are extraordinarily transactional. Um, we want things to get done. You know, we, I saw comparisons to us with other states during the presidential election. And, you know, the reason people like the bipartisan message wasn't because they wanted Democrats or Republicans to work together. They were like, nothing is working. Let's find something to work. Let's find something to get something done. And that's done. been her stock and that's, that's been, been her, her calling card. That's I make things work. Said. And so her brand has been, I get things done and go look right now on her statement. She's saying it over mm-hmm. and over again. And among people who weren't just liberals, it started to be like, oh, her her thing is that she stops stuff. And that's that's 100% counter brand. Totally counter brand. And now I think that you'll see that she's pivoting. She understands the situation that she was in. And uh, I hope that it you know goes beyond public statements to actual mm-hmm. actions on this legislation. Um, and the final thing I'd say is, you know, Cinema did an event that I put together during the campaign. She campaigned mm-hmm. for a lot of this stuff for Biden. And so, you know, when I talk to Republican friends, they're kind of putting on her what their views are of some of these policies that she actually supports. And so I think that, you know, th- that the sort of false confidence she gets from this Republican number, I think she gets it that, that she needs to focus and, on and look, fu- fundraising on the Democratic side has changed dramatically. Uh, you know, these 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 the money she's pulling in from the financial services industry and the pharmaceutical industry that pales in comparison to what's going to come in during a campaign online from online contributions. And so she knows that she has to she has to change that or, or she'll be in trouble in a primary. Let me throw out my theory and ask Rick to respond to it. it and my theory is the following. If build back better phase two of infrastructure goes through um, that all will be well. Even if she pairs, no matter what gets pared down, to what level it gets pared down, within any kind of reason. But if there is a bill that passed and it has her name on it, that she will weather this storm. But if it doesn't, then I think she's very vulnerable in a primary, and it may, and it may ultimately be suicidal to her. If because if it doesn't go through, it will clearly have had her name on it, and it will be potentially the end of the Biden presidency. I, I would agree with most of that. Although a primary is number of years off, mm-hmm. and Two. people mm-hmm. people forget. Mm -hmm. Um, They're more interested in what you did for me yesterday Mm -hmm. instead of what you might have done two years ago. Clearly, that's a factor in this. If it were this year, if she were in the the, uh, Kelly cycle, this would be a whole other matter. But I've known her since she went into the Arizona legislature, and I've worked with her that long, and I've never heard the number of people that say to me, 
I won't vote for her again. Democrats, solid Democrats who gave her money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I won't vote for her again. Now, they they'll probably change their mind if this thing passes. If it doesn't, the blame is laid at her feet. And there are people who will not vote for her and will vote for another person, even if that person won't be as strong in the next election. You know, we're all making the assumption that she intends to run for reelection. She may not. Yeah, I was when that's entirely possible. And if we look at the the earliest indicator of how this plays out, isn't going to be her primary. It's going to be Mark Kelly's reelection. And so that is is so essential to get this through just to get Mark Kelly Mark uh, Mark Kelly back back in office. Mm-hmm. I think that looking ahead, my personal analysis of this isn't that the voters are going to be the reason why she wouldn't have a primary challenge. I think that there could be oxygen in the room for that. I'm not sure, but I think so. And when I say primary challenge, I'm talking about a not there'll be somebody on there, but I'm talking about a top a sitting congressman, a a top tier person. That's the thing. The question is, does a member does a a credible candidate think that they can beat her? Mm -hmm. And if one of them decides they can and they run, I think that it could be uh, a lot closer than most uh, analysts would probably say. Mm -hmm. I think that. But, you know, I don't know if anybody will even step up and run against her. That's actually the big question. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think we're uh, – Rick's answer, I think you're fundamentally in agreement that saying that if, uh, you know, if this if this thing gets signed off on, if we get a second bill, she'll probably weather this. Yeah, because if, if it fails, the blame will be laid at her feet. If it passes, in no matter what level it passes, mm-hmm. there will be people who say, well, you know, I didn't agree with her on everything. But at least it was sort of a bipartisan effort, and they tried, and they put together the best that they could because something passed. And she gets credit for, justified or not, for fiscal stewardship if she's and, – and I think she'll be seen as responsible for pairing off some items, and that will be cast in terms of uh, budgetary austerity. But I think yeah. more than that, she'll get – if it passes – She'll get credit for at least trying to make it somewhat bipartisan. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget she is very bright. She's a good campaigner. She's run good campaigns. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we kind of forget about the qual, you know, the, those abilities, mm-hmm. the ability to be disciplined on message, the ability to connect with people, and she's always been able to do that before. And if this goes through, and she's able to go and take a victory lap for it, I think she'll. She'll be in a much stronger position. Yeah. And she's certainly in a position to take a victory lap on the infrastructure sure. package. Well, she was a co-author of that. And the, the other thing, and we, we have to conclude here at this point, the other thing that the Republicans will not be able to do to her again, they will not be able to paint her as a whacked out lefty green, you know, pink tutu, the whole, that whole, that whole deal is, uh, I think, off the table. She has a mark. Uh, clearly as a centrist, a little too centrist maybe for some Democrats, but in a general election, that's a positive thing. Thank you very much, Rick DeGraw, Bob Lord, Tony Canny. Uh, we'll see you next week in the Think Tank.